one stone, two birds, one stone. You're listening to Two Birds, One Stone, the podcast where you can literally ask us anything and we'll answer it with a combination of sincerity and sarcasm, leaving you either elated or filled with regret. You never know what you're going to get until you get it. Two green grass girls giving our take on the world. Strap in its space mountain, we hope you don't hurl. Turn up your dials, pour yourself some wine. If you listen to us, you'll be feeling divine. It may get real weird, but you'll feel rad and jazz. Sincerity and sarcasm with a dash of pizzazz. So send us your troubles and send us your woes. We'll open our mouths and we'll see how it goes. We will see ourselves out. We will see ourselves out. We will see ourselves out. Because I, I purposefully said good evening instead of good morning. Why would you do that to me? To fuck with you, and your face got so red. <laughs> you, can, you can't. Mission accomplished. You cannot, Thank you so much. You can't respond on the fly. I cannot. All right, here we go again. I'll do it the way you need it to be. Good morning. Good evening. Good, good afternoon. afternoon. Hello. My name is Andrea. It's not, she's lying. It's Andrea, I promise. I'm Tanya. Hello, Tanya. (laughs) It's nice to meet you. It's so nice to meet you many years ago. And hello to our beloved fans. Welcome back again. All 38 billion of you. This is a podcast about dicks and Shakespeare. Don't forget them pyramids. And math. And the Fibonacci sequence. And headgears. And pagers. And Disney. (laughs) Yep, so if none of that interests you, kindly see yourself out. Hang up. Hang up the phone. (laughs) (laughs) That's how people listen to podcasts now on a landline. You you dial it in. Deep, 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 dial it in. I, I would love to share with everyone of a funny little situation that we experienced recently at your at your home with one of your housemates um this lovely gentleman named chris he is an enigma to me he lives in my basement he's got his kind of own private space and he doesn't really come up that much but when he does he usually just walks into a scene i i love every interaction and Recently, we, you guys have heard of Muriel, Tanya's blow-up girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And Bless her heart. She, the constable. The constable Muriel. She was in a position with her hands that I really didn't like. It felt very aggressive with her arms just kind of in a weird... 90 degree, like a 90 degree angle just by her side, just kind of jutting out. And when Andrea does not like something in a room, she doesn't care if it's not her house, she's going to fix it. I wanted to soften her up a little bit, and so I asked Tanya if she had any... She just deflated some air then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that would have also worked. 
I asked her if she had some string and she kindly obliged and gave me some string. And so I decided I was going to tie Muriel's hands together in like a nice namaste and it, to make her just look more approachable because... I'm very worried about whether or not my blow-up girlfriend looks approachable, I, so I'm it's much appreciated. very worried about it. So as I'm tying her hands together, Chris emerged from the basement like and was in the kitchen and, of course, was not phased at all by me, you know, fucking with this blow-up doll and tying her hands up. And then we started in having this interaction. Um, he was asking me questions about dating, and I just and I would continue. never has he ever asked me for advice. And he was hitting Andrea up like she was dear Judy. And I was giving her, giving her, giving him some advice whilst tying the constable's hands, and it was just a normal conversation. Just the fact that I was, you know, holding a blow up doll. You can multitask, which is <laughs> that's right. Completely unfazed by it. And then I think at one point I did say, after about five minutes, I was like, so, yeah, you're, you're, you're not phased at all by just the fact that I'm, you know, holding a blow-up doll, right? And he's like, no, not really. And he paused and he just said, I like dolls. <laughs> Probably then swiftly pivoted on his foot, turned around, and descended the staircase back into his space. Yeah, Really... He, he's unfazed by absolutely everything. There was one time that um, my roommate Addison and I were joking about something like in the living room and our landlord was there and she just looked at him at one point and she's like, are you sure that you signed up for this circus? And he just said, I lived in New Orleans. I've seen weirder. And then walked away. I've still, I still, I want to know those stories. This. Very much so. I want to know what those stories are. He's a mystery He's got a lot to say. He doesn't have a lot to say. That's no. the point. But what he does say, it's, it's, they're, it's golden nuggets. Golden nuggets. <laughs> um, what else, we're recording a week apart, which is very atypical for us. So we haven't had a lot that's happened. What's your favorite thing that happened this week? Don't blow the lid. They don't know when we're recording. <laughs> we could, this could be the past for them. It's 1940. Yeah. We've, we've traveled here. in our... Tin box. I, so we, we, we are attempting to leverage Tanya's 500,000 TikTok followers. Is that the right number? Absolutely not, but let's go with it. Okay. How many is it? Um, 44,000. Oh, okay. All right, fine. But I will take 500K 44,000. Okay. 44,000 TikTok list, listeners, watchers, whatever you call them. <laughs> I don't know anything about TikTok. We're trying to promote the podcast because, you know... We would love 44,000 listens. I would love a small percentage of those. So we decided, let's make a video. And my idea... Well, we were getting in the hot tub already, so it was like, well, we'll just make a video in the hot tub. And so my idea was, let's read, because we always write haikus all the time it's how when one of us leaves the other's house when we get home the way to say that we're home is a haiku always so we have so many haikus in our arsenal we also went down a path of writing lesbian haikus specifically and so we decided it'd be kind of funny if we had a haiku off and read each read two haikus 
And then we decided, well, we need some way to intro and, and, you know, outro this whole video. So let's just do a weird wrestling scene like we're fighting each other in the hot tub. Yeah, because we were dueling with words. Right. So how did that go for you? How did wrestling me in the hot tub work out for you? Um, not well. (laughs) I... Okay, like, I know that you're strong. It's, it's something that I know. I think a couple years back, we, I was like, I played rugby. I can probably scrap with you. And we, we wrestled a little bit. And it didn't go well for me then. But I really thought, I was like, we're, we're not an even match. You're stronger. But I thought I'd be able to, like, dunk you under. And instead, you were able to, like, karate chop me off of your body with just, like, one swoop of your hand, put me under... And um, I swatted you like a a fly, fly. legitimately swatted me like a fly. And there I I climbed you like a spider monkey, like multiple times. And you would just swat me. And my favorite was you swatted me off of you. I like go under and you just were you looked so disgusted at me and your facial expression. You just go get off of me. I was consensually having this fight with you and still somehow had a, just the, the look when we replayed back the raw footage though, the moment before there were, there was about six seconds before we started our match and the look in my eye, I have never seen a look of pure joy in my eyes of just kicking your ass it actually uh-huh. kind of scared me a little bit when I saw it. It's like, what is that look it in did my not, eye? You know, it did not surprise me. I don't know that I've ever seen that look in your eye, but it, it's, it seemed on brand. Like a seven-year-old on Christmas morning. I just, the, <laughs> the twinkle and my eyes were wide and blinking. She was batting them eyelashes. Good so Lord excited. Lord. And well, we decided for the outro that we like had, we couldn't just have footage of like Andrea very obviously kicking my ass. So the outro was... That I got to dunk her. <laughs> How did that go? I, well, I, I think I first, I was like, all right, go ahead and dunk me. And then it was like my body wouldn't allow it. <laughs> my mind was saying, let it, and my, my body refused. So I finally just had to basically float on my back with my limbs floating and turn myself into like a gumby gelatin and just said, I'll allow it. <laughs> And then, uh, and then you dunked me. <laughs> yeah, so that was our intro and our outro, but I saved all of the raw footage and I turned some of it into gifts, which then I sent to Andrea. Because what did I say to you? Oh, I just said, I feel so weak. Yeah, I feel so, I feel so weak. I was like, oh, yeah. yeah, I understand. It was kind of like the perfect representation of our friendship. Oh. Consensually wrestling and then you swatting me off <laughs> and, and saying, get off of me. Get off of me, like so annoyed by it. First question of the evening or day or morning or middle of the night, depending on what time you're listening. Help. Help. I won't. I have a partner whom I love dearly, but has some nasty habits. They constantly chew in a similar fashion to Mr. Ed, and loud chewers are my number one pet peeve. I try not to hyper-focus, but it literally drives me to the brink of insanity. How do I bring this up to my boyfriend gracefully? Is your boyfriend Mr. Ed? 
It's a horse of a course, horse of course. I don't remember the <laughs> lyrics. Sorry, okay, I'm going to stop now. God, I mean, it is it is a hard thing, right? Because I've also, this is like my number one pet peeve. And I've dated people who there was one time that bless my girlfriend's heart. She was wonderful, but I, I got up the nerve to finally be like, I'm going to say something to her because she must be chewing with her mouth open. Um, like in order to generate that much noise. And I looked over at her and her jaw was just hinged shut. I was like, how are you making this rotation with your jaw, with your mouth closed? Cause I thought, Hey, that's my in. I can say, don't chew with your mouth open. Cause it is kind of uncomfortable when you have to address something like that. It's hard not to just come off as like being a bitch. I've got a couple of friends who do this. I j- I mean, there, there is, I do have a couple friends who just blatantly chew with their mouth open and that's disgusting to look at, but love watching, watching people smack pulverized yeah. food, smacking. It just, it's always driven me so crazy. I don't know if I, I remember my mom hated it so much growing up. Like I had a really good friend who used to always smack her gum and my mom, I just remember my mom just constantly being like, Melissa, stop smacking your gum. Is that what you should say to your boyfriend? Yeah. Yell his name in a high-pitched George, Georgia drawl. <laughs> it, I mean, I legitimately do have misophonia. There's no question about it. Because it okay. does drive me. When I hear anybody, and sometimes with my partner too, like if, the, you know, if we're eating and the music isn't loud or the TV isn't loud enough and I can just hear the sound of him eating... I sit there in complete and utter uncomfortability until he's done. And it's very, he was like eating peanuts the other night. And the sound of peanuts hitting hitting the the tooth enamel. I just, it was driving me into utter. Were they already like de-shelled or did you have to go through the whole process of like the cracking open they were, of the peanuts. No, they were de-shelled. They were de-shelled. That just reminded me of last weekend when I went into the bathroom of our friend's house <laughs> and just saw this enormous, like a bag you get like at cr- Home Depot of like soil, like that size bag that was filled with shelled peanuts and it just said on it, for attracting squirrels. And I was like, why the hell would you want to attract squirrels? And so I asked her about this. She said, oh yeah, I love attracting the squirrels. And then the dogs just run them up the trees and tree them for hours and bark at them. Like, what? Oh, our sweet friend, Aaron. It's a podcast about Aaron (laughs) and storing peanuts. And like, also like, I don't, put them in your shed out back. Like, why are we storing them in the bathroom? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe you're like taking a piss and you're like, you know what I could really stand for? Deshelling yeah. a peanut. I'm taking a dump. <laughs> Give me some of those peanuts. <laughs> wow. I don't, I, yeah, we've, we've not answered the question. We've, we've just talked pro- about our personal grievances. We've diverged. I I don't even know how. So I think if it's your partner and they're being blatantly disgusting or having really bad manners, then you just you need to say it gently and in a way of you know, being loving and don't come out as being judgmental, but just, Hey, this is something I've witnessed. And, you know, I I don't want to hurt your feelings, but here's, here's an alternative way to eat. (laughs) My feelings are hurt. My soul is wounded. 
I mean, I do think it, it is uncomfortable because I'm so open to feedback in relationships. I really, really am. But usually, like, the feedback is emotional and it's not something you feel like nitpicky if your feedback is eat different. Don't drink water so loud. Well, and it's probably going to embarrass them. But yeah. you have to ask yourself. If it's a long-term partner, yeah, if, you have to have those conversations. If this is somebody you're going to stay with for a long time, what's better, saying it to them now or saying it to them in 15 years? And yeah. then they're like, oh, my God, this whole time you've just watched me eat like a horse and you haven't said anything. So You just engrave on their tombstone. Horse eater. Horse eater. <laughs> Yeah. No, I just, I think that like the pillar of any good partnership is like, there is nothing that's off the table that you can say. And whether it's like, yeah, you know, feedback about your rigid boundaries or exactly. feedback about how you ingest food into your being. Gullet. Your gullet. You've got to be able to ha- like, yeah. Yeah. Say it. Do don't it. Say it. Don't spray it. <laughs> Remember that song? Yes, I, I want the it's news. Song. It was like a. I remember that phrase that people would say. There was a in fake. The 90s. There was a fake boy band that they made, and it was like a show on MTV, and they had a song called "Say It, Don't Spray It." I want the news, not the weather. Oh, I do not remember that. I can't remember what it was called, but it was like a satire. Huh? Second question. I'm about to graduate university and feel very lost. I feel like I've spent four years getting a degree that I likely won't use. What did you both study and do you have any advice to give someone who's about to graduate and go out in the world? I personally studied journalism and Spanish and I kind of, to be fully transparent, was sort of pressured by my father in particular to, you know, pick a major where I can have a career. And I think if it was up to me, I would have chosen English or photography or something like that. So I chose journalism because I felt like it was sort of, I don't know, still would allow me to be creative and then had some internships, graduated from college, realized, oh, I live in New York City and the starting salary for an editorial assistant in a magazine is $22,000, so great. I can probably live in a shack in Staten Island, support myself on that wage. Maybe I can just live on the Staten Island ferry in the bathroom to support myself. <laughs> None Sounds of which right. were, were really feasible options. So I um, never ended up working in journalism and kind of abandoned it a bit felt for a long time also like it seemed like it was a waste and then I had a realization not that long ago really probably about five years ago that what I did in my job now and I work in cybersecurity so you would think journalism cybersecurity what's the correlation and so I've sort of been able to excel in my specific industry And in what I do as a business analyst, because of the skill set that I picked up as a journalism major and writing concisely and clearly and being able to interview people, the ability to disseminate information and put it into a cohesive statement or argument or 
analysis, et cetera, et cetera. So don't discount what you've studied, even if it's not a one-for-one of what you're going into. It doesn't mean that there aren't threads and facets of what you learned that you can take with you. So think a little bit out of the box about what you've learned and how that could be applied to other industries or to other career paths. I uh, held back on making a joke about boxes. (laughs) I was wondering why you were smirking. I'm like, I don't really understand what's happening in your head, but I'm just, I'm going to plow through. I'm a fucking one trick pony. I should have known. So I have two degrees that I have never used really in any capacity. I got my undergraduate degree in clinical psychology. I got my master's degree in clinical mental health counseling with a specialization in sexual and gender orientation. Really rolls off the tongue. And I mean, I feel like all of my friends that went directly into their career path from graduating college or getting their master's, they're all at a point where they're fucking burnt out now and they don't even know if it's something that they want to do. And I'm kind of on the other side, like wanting to do it. So I do think that that's kind of advantageous for me. Um, If you're just graduating university, give yourself a fucking break. Take a part-time gig. Do something that you're passionate about. Do something that you love. You just never know what's going to happen. For instance, after I got my graduate degree, I moved back to Salt Lake City, Utah. I took a part-time job serving at a pub. It happened to be a pub that was associated to one of the top 50 craft breweries in the nation. And when, within six years, I was in upper-level management. So you just you never know how things are going to pan out. My advice is just don't be fucking hard on yourself. Take some time. And it's okay to get... I mean, maybe it'll just be a transitionary gig, but you don't need to like go full throttle from your college to using your degree. Take some time. Most people do not know what they want to do at 18, let alone 22 when they graduate or any point in their 20s. I'm still figuring it out. I'm almost 40. I'm 36 and I have no clue what I'm doing. So I think it's, you know, I've worked in a lot of different industries. I've had a lot of different careers. And I think that that's made me a like a more diverse and balanced individual in the jobs that I do because I have a lot of different perspectives and yeah, don't, don't overthink it. Don't force yourself. I iced cupcakes for eight months after I graduated from college. I worked at a fucking soup restaurant. (laughs) Cupcakes and soup. (laughs) That's our advice to you. Yeah. Make cupcakes, drink some soup, eat some soup. Become a baker. (laughs) They're like, I actually went to culinary school. (laughs) I have a partner. When we lived in the same town, we dated for three months, but then I moved. Neither of us were interested in a long-distance relationship, but the love and connection we shared remained even after I left. When we're in the same physical space, we behave as a couple, and when we're not, we don't. While I'm comfortable with the casual nature of our relationship, it can be difficult to maintain a connection, as she doesn't always communicate effectively. Often we go weeks without talking because I don't hear from her. When she talks about us, she refers to me as her girlfriend or implies that we are a couple, but I have a hard time considering it a partnership when it doesn't feel like one. How should I talk to her about this and explain that even though we are casual, I still have feelings and need more? My question would be, how can you 
be casual and have feelings and want more. It's an inherent contradiction. I think that you need to figure out what you want first and then go from there. Because it seems like this person is not going to be communicative and give you that direct line of communication on a regular basis like you want them to. So it's obviously there needs to be a, some kind of conversation about the nature of your relationship. And maybe it's just that you need to say, hey, I don't think we should call each other girlfriend or partner anymore because that comes with certain expectations that I don't think either of us are prepared to give each other when there's no foreseeable future in which we're going to live in the same city. <laughs> Staring into Just my a soul. hard stare. Love it when you hold eye contact with a purpose. <laughs> no, I agree. It sounds a bit like, um, and don't, don't get me wrong, like we're both very progressive in terms of partnerships can look a million different ways. You could have a nesting partner that you live with and you love that maybe you're not sexual with. You can have so many different kinds of love. So I, I get it. I appreciate it. But it sounds a bit like a oxymoron of a relationship. Like being casual and wanting more, it doesn't it, quite work. Jumbo shrimp. Jumbo shrimp. <laughs> Your relationship is a... This is Jumbo a shrimp. podcast about, about shellfish. <laughs> Next question. I absolutely adore my roommate, but aside from her partner, she's never really lived with someone before. There are a lot of gaps in etiquette with her, and none of them are a big deal, but over time, I find myself having some resentment. It's simple things like never replacing household items, not clearing spoiled food from the fridge, emptying the dishwasher, etc. She's always receptive to feedback. But when it's so constant, I feel like a nag. How do I best approach this to both maintain a good relationship with her and not go crazy? I mean, this is an interesting question for me because I have been in a space for the better part of a decade now that I have on and off had roommates all the time. And you've, you've seen me through a couple iterations of roommates. I think we can agree that our favorite was my roommate when I lived 0.9 miles away from you. And she kept, um, one time I came home and there was a literal pyramid of about maybe a hundred Taco Bell hot sauce packets in the middle of the kitchen table. I liked the shipping box full of Magnum condoms. That was another good one as well. On the coffee table. Why leave this on the coffee table? Or the time that we drank a bottle of her wine with full intentions of, it was Sunday, so I couldn't buy any, replacing it the next day. And she got really, really upset about it. She was saving it for a special occasion. It was a $6 bottle of wine. Coco Bon. Coco Bon. $6. I bought two. I left them on her nightstand. I was like, save these for your wedding day. Such an overreaction. Anyways, um, I can definitely relate to this a lot because I am kind of OCD, I'm very clean, and I'm also just a very conscientious person. So if I, if I use a quarter of your olive oil, like I'm going to replace it if it's getting low, this, that, and the other. It's just, I don't think about these things. They, it just naturally happens, but um, I've certainly lived with people who don't, and 
especially if you're saying that your roommate is pretty receptive to feedback, I want you to go back in a time machine to the 90s when you watched Real World and Road Rules, and those were like the two best shows ever. And on the real world, they would have house meetings. I want you to get some post-it notes. I want you to look up passive aggressiveness. And I want you to leave post-it notes all over your house with passive aggressive Definitely. comments. If they do something that pisses you off, just lay in wait with a Nerf gun. Don't leave the toilet paper on in the bathroom. Just take it with you back and forth from your room so it's always empty. <laughs> leave the just keep the dishes are clean put dirty ones in there don't ever empty it (laughs) make a point a really hard hard point yeah i leave the refrigerator door open i'm sorry i'm just i'll stop now take all of their ice cream out and let it melt put their ice cream in the fridge put their In all seriousness, like, it doesn't work to have... It's going to drive you crazy if you are passive-aggressive about it, if you're holding it in. So, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. You have to address it head-on. There's no other way. Dive in face first. Yeah. And like everything, try not to be judgmental or angry or any of that resentful you know just lay it out and say this is how I feel can you please you know here are some tips and what can I do to help you in doing these things and there's always a compromise yeah and I mean for me it's been like I actually don't mind accruing all of the household stuff you know dish soap toilet paper paper towels all of that and then just making it very clear that, like, I'm fine with that responsibility, but I'm, I'm going to Venmo you immediately. Yeah, exactly. Compromise. Chompromise. <laughs> Rompity rompermise. The end. In such a politically charged climate with so many divisive issues, it's unavoidable that my positions will misalign with the positions that family or friends have. In my opinion, some of these topics reveal a person's intrinsic nature and perspective on life. How do you be okay with the people in your life when their views drastically differ from your own? I don't know. The one time Andrea has ever said, I don't know. It's it's really challenging. I've tried to mitigate this as best I can with my family for my whole life because we have a very strong misalignment on a lot of views political and religious and things that are big topics and I feel have felt a bit triggered lately by this exact situation where certain certain topics right now and you know there's there's a lot going on and especially in the U.S. and you know, just the, the blow up of the mask debate and now we're into the, the vaccination debate and it's, it is, it's hard to, when you feel very strongly about something, it's hard to sit with somebody else who doesn't agree on that perspective and it's not comfortable. It's, it's very uncomfortable 
Well, and I feel like, you know, it's always been at play, right? But COVID was a very isolating time. And it was also, I mean, who do you know that just like sat in the middle of COVID and was like, didn't really have an opinion. It brought up very strong opinions. People were either this is a conspiracy. I'm not going to get the vaccination. I'm not going to wear them. You know, people were very anti-mask, anti-vax. And then you had people who were. Sorry. When you said sat in the middle of COVID. (laughs) What I I saw in my head and then couldn't stop seeing in my head was like a teeny tiny version of myself, like a little bitty version of myself, like just playing around in the COVID virus. (laughs) Like splishing and a splashing under a microscope. Splish splash, I'm taking a COVID bath. <laughs> and then I was like, oh God, stop thinking about it. And then I couldn't stop thinking about it. And here we are talking about it. I'm so. taking a bath in taking a, a COVID, COVID cell. <laughs> Jesus. No, it's really, um, we talked about this a little bit earlier when we were in your car. I don't know why I had that detail. <laughs> Everybody wants to know where we were. What were we doing hours ago? Driving in a car. <laughs> <laughs> um, my sister, for instance, won't get the COVID vaccination. And I think what I struggle with is just if we're misaligned on this, to me, it speaks to a deeper concern of the fact that, like, we were very careful in COVID. You and I had the smallest bubble that we truly lived in and I was careful and I wasn't careful for me like I'm healthy I always thought if I did contract COVID I'd probably be okay but you have a partner that is very high risk um my roommate had a partner who was getting brain radiation so for me I didn't it was a no-brainer I I did what I did to (laughs) brainer sorry wow (laughs) I just keep interrupting you. Yes. No, I'm did. used to it. No, you're you're absolutely you're absolutely right. It's and I, I I think I would have a different perspective if I didn't have a partner who was immunocompromised and I may have been a lot more lackadaisical about it, but that wasn't my reality and but I mean, uh, let's push the specifics of the issues aside cuz I, I don't want to create, you know, divisiveness in this podcast. And I can love that word. Sit all day and, you know, spout my mouth off with my own personal opinions. But I think that the, the nature of this question is more about from either side, how do you sit with and, and be okay with, you know, people who have varying views from yours and I think the answer is there is no easy answer it's definitely easier if you can have rational conversations and I think asking people you know I like to understand where somebody's coming from like am I missing something is there you know a piece of this that I didn't consider um And so I like talking to people, asking them questions. And I think that that's a good place to start is just trying to have a rational conversation with that person about about their perspective and and why they feel the way they do. And a lot of times there is a reason behind things and it can be explained and you can 
disagree and still accept that disagreement and it, it not fracture the relationship completely. Yeah, that's the one thing I was going to say is that agreeing to disagree is okay. It's fine. We live in a world chock full of people and we're not going to see eye to eye. But when I'm always right, it's, it's hard. It must be a hard life for it's you. It's hard. Yeah, it's like I'm always right. So it's like, hey. You were wondering why your neck hurts so much and it's just a complication from patting yourself on the back so gratuitously. <laughs> my neck, my back. My pussy. Can we say pussy on this podcast? Uh, we've said worse. Worse. <laughs> it's a dirty word. No. I mean... I don't align fanny with... Fanny yeah. in the UK means pussy, so... There we go. Fanny, fanny, fanny. This is a podcast For about... UK slang. UK slang. Here we are. I live on the other side of the country from my mother, and our main line of communication is via text. She's constantly texting me what she's doing, which is great, but she never asks how I am. If I don't reply to her messages or I don't reply in the manner she likes, I just get repetitive text messages. Most of the time, she's looking for attention and validation, and I don't know how to handle it. I don't think she would even hear me if I tried to have a conversation with her about reciprocity and how her communication style frustrates me. How would you handle the situation? Get out of my brain. We have the same mom. I would say what's become very important to me is coming to terms in my adult life with, I, I am never going to have a true relationship with my mother. I'm never going to. So without the expectation of it being anything other than what it is, coming to terms with that, accepting that, being okay with that, um, and making the decision of having a conversation around this, there will be no benefit. It would be like talking to a wall is what it sounds like. So for me, personally, because I can relate to this, what I've learned how to do is just compartmentalize that part of my life. Um, it's hard. You have the option to opt out. Absolutely. And, and if you're feeling frustrated by the way she's communicating, by the frequency that she's communicating, whatever it is, you can just not respond. That's okay. You have that, that option. I'm currently freezing my own mom out. I'm currently freezing your mom out. I Fun fact, please, do, I, th I thought that it would be advantageous just because I do live on the other side of the country from my family, um, who would probably never, I could be laying dead in a ditch for like months and they probably would not even think twice about it. But I thought it would be nice if I connected Andrea, who is a big part of my life and talks to me every day. So if somebody knows what's going on with me, it's her. I gave my mom her number as kind of my, I don't have a partner, so she's my emergency contact. My mom took a little different spin on that. <laughs> so many times, I mean, your mom texts me one million times more than my mom texts me. And I also like how we, we try to get her to communicate via a group text, but she refuses and insists on sending us the same text message. We put our phones up next to each other. It's the same text message and pictures that she's copied to me and to you. 
And yeah, this week I just, there were a couple things I was like, nope, nope, nope. I am, I'm too busy for this. I don't have the capacity to navigate your mom's text message. Uh, welcome to my life. The title of my memoir is I Don't Have the Capacity to Navigate My Mom. Yeah. <laughs> Chapter two. Pretty much. But um, I would say for me, just taking those breaks is fine. It's healthy. Um, and... Acceptance. I acceptance. think that that's the biggest thing. Radical is, acceptance. You ha- you do have to accept that they are who they are. You will likely not change them. She's she's seventy years old. I'm not I'm not going to change her patterns of communication. No, and it's unfortunate and it's sad and you know it's a hard pill to swallow sometimes when we want our parents to be a certain way, but you know. Take that lesson with you if you become a parent one day or in your relationships. Things not to do. We can learn a lot of things from our parents about how not to be. Everything I learned, I learned how to not do for my parents. Exactly. Do the opposite of, of what they do. I, yeah, there's, there's really, there's no easy way about it. Cryogenesis. <laughs> Get new parents. For everyone living on planet Earth, I think we can all agree that the last year has been difficult. We've been collectively traumatized in various ways by this pandemic. I'm now fully vaccinated and certainly feel a sense of relief and more freedom interacting with and being around people. That being said, it still feels really unnerving to think about eating indoors at a restaurant or walking into a grocery store or airport without a mask on. I should be okay with this, but I feel like I'm suffering from a lot of 2020 PTSD, aren't we all? How do I go back to normal? Holla back. I I don't think there is going back at all. I don't think there ever is after anything like this. So get that out of your head. There's no going back. It's how do we move forward and move forward in a different way. And I think there are some actually like valuable things that we can learn from this like you know there are other countries in the world that when they're sick they wear a mask in public so as not to infect other people I think that that's really great I wish that was something probably we won't because the United States is a it's filled with selfish bastard people but that would be really nice, you know, like, hey, I'm not feeling well. I'm going to wear a mask if I go into the grocery store or if I yeah. fly on an airplane. But how do we move forward? I think therapy. <laughs> I think it's going to take some time. It's not, it's not a light switch. It's not something that is just going to immediately feel okay again. I don't think it's ever going to feel... The same as it did before, I will. I do think that there will be a point in the future where, you know, it is going to feel like more of a distant memory. And, you know, as we continue on and as cases drop and, and you know, everybody you know doesn't get COVID, <laughs> that those fears will dissipate over time. But, you know, don't rush it. Don't force yourself and just understand that we we are all dealing with some collective trauma and it's not going to be easy the next 6 months a year
Yeah. I mean, I am a pretty introverted person. I used to be a lot more extroverted, but I would say that definitely over the course of quarantine, like, I, I enjoyed it a little bit too much. Like, I really liked being alone. So it feels a bit daunting now that I'm starting to get invitations. It's just stuff I didn't think about. Friends who want to pass through Utah while they're traveling and see me, I'm just like, what am I ready for? I don't know what I'm ready for. And there's been, like, situations and circumstances where I've, like, been around people more and I, I kind of clam up a little bit. <laughs> clammy? I got clammy hands, clammy feet, clammy brain. Clammy Sammy? I think just kind of for me it's going to be small, gradual baby steps of just, like, my circle was so small during COVID, but I do have, like, some people that I missed, but for one reason or another I just kind of really didn't see. So slow integration, probably a lot of one-on-one time. And I'm, I'm still more comfortable. I'm glad that the weather is nice because even as we transition, we just don't really know what's going to happen, right? So outdoor hangs, hikes, that kind of stuff feels a little bit more gentle for me. Huzzah. <laughs> We've all gone through shit as children that inevitably follows us into our adult lives. How have you mitigated and worked on healing that childhood trauma? I just haven't. I like to just drag it into all of my relationships and friendships. Mm, yeah, it's your, I mean, it's your uh, app, online dating tagline, right? Ask me about my childhood Hi, trauma. I'm Ch- Tanya. I have childhood trauma. How about you? What kind of emotional baggage do you have to unpack? Let's unpack together. It's a, it's a really good icebreaker. <laughs> yeah, I love to break... To be fair, I have been on first dates where people legitimately bring up childhood trauma. Mm, and I'm like, eh, way too much for a first eh, date. Give me a couple of dates before we dive deep into your psyche. Wait until we're having sex, then let's talk about it. Yeah. Post <laughs> mid coitus. I was going to say post coitus, but yeah, maybe just right in the middle. Just <laughs> pause your scissor sesh. Um, Truly, though, childhood trauma, I think that the big takeaway for me and my childhood trauma, because we all have some right, is not letting it define me as an adult. It doesn't mean that it was, it it does not mean that I'm healed from my childhood trauma. Healing is not linear. Things always inevitably come back to like trigger me and show up, but not letting it define me anymore. I'm 36. I haven't lived under the roof of my home since I was 19. I've made my own life. I love my own life. I'm proud of my life. And knowing that this is something that I work through in therapy constantly, but just not, it's, it's not who I am anymore. It's something that happened to me that was shitty and I've, I've made efforts to move past it. I do think it's important to address and I think for a long time until I hit my 30s I didn't really even think about it necessarily or consider the implications of things that happened in my childhood and in teenage years and I don't know why but when I did start thinking about it you know it's it's heavy shit and it's not easy to unpack I do think it's important to unpack though and there's a lot of things that we can pull into our um, images of ourselves, our, the way we interact in relationships, um, 
that are very influenced by things that happened in our early years. So therapy has been a great tool for me. Um, EMDR and sort of just reprogramming some things. It depends on the type of trauma, of course, but I think there is a lot of, there are a lot of people who have deep trauma that does need to be reprogrammed and, you know, that can incapacitate people or, or really affect them in, in a very serious way. So I think if that's you, then definitely seeking out therapy and maybe bringing things out that are in your deep, deep, deep in your um, subconscious that you're not even aware of. That That's happened to me as well. Things that I had buried and had not been able to address that, that kind of came up as part of um, some therapy and meditation. And I think those are really, those are key to healing and evolving and being better. I'm in a long-term relationship. And for the majority of that relationship, my partner has struggled with some serious health issues because of the seriousness it's life and death. There have been many times I've had to deprioritize my wants and needs to support him. He's recently made a lot of positive progress in his health, and he's entering into a more stable state. I've thought a lot about the past and what I've sacrificed. How do you balance and prioritize your own necessities in a partnership without being outwardly selfish? There's an interesting, I feel like there's an interesting wave, mentality wave going on that I've witnessed a lot in social media lately that speaks to this and sort of this, this whole concept of, you know, do what feels good for you. And it's okay to just do what you need to do and do what you want to do. And, you know, don't suppress yourself for the sake of others. And, you know, I think conceptually, I agree with that, but that's just not how relationships work. Any relationship, friendship or romantic. Yeah. And there are certain like scenarios and circumstances where you're not able to put the focus on you. No, exactly. You can't just be a selfish asshole, you know? I mean, that's not a reciprocal relationship at all. You have to consider other people. And especially when you're dealing with somebody who has a life and death health situation, I've experienced this in my partnership. If you've got somebody sitting in front of you who is going through something where you are actually terrified that they may die, it doesn't matter whatever you're talking about or dealing with, that all stops. Because when you're faced with something that serious, that's the priority. And you're not like, I had a bad day at work. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I don't, oh, you're having a heart attack? I don't really care. Let me talk about myself. It's just not, it's not. Who is this garbage person in this scenario? (laughs) Literally. Please let me never find you on Tinder. I mean, I think, and I think maybe people who have that perspective just maybe haven't dealt with something that serious and don't understand or, or haven't been faced with, you know having to balance that but as somebody who has experienced this myself I'll say that 
it's it's challenging and to have pushed aside and buried you know your own as you say wants and needs for a long time I think it can be an interesting exercise to try to figure out how you then assert those and if you're so familiar with that dynamic and that's kind of been the the baseline dynamic in your relationship then it it is it's probably going to feel a bit selfish and a bit self-involved to assert yourself in that way and it's not going to feel comfortable at first I think you know having open and honest conversation with your partner about it is really important even expressing this, you know, this exact topic to them and saying, this is how it's been. I want to explore, you know, and, and kind of put myself in, in the forefront sometimes. And, but it feels really uncomfortable and, and kind of icky sometimes to do that. And, you know, communicating that to your partner, I think is, is a good place to start. Yeah. And the word, I have a hard time with the word selfish because there are definitely people who exist who are selfish assholes. But I don't think that being selfish is a terribly bad thing a lot of the time, depending on your scenario. Because if you're not setting those boundaries and showing up for yourself, you can't show up for other people, your partner, your friend, anyone. Yeah, you have to take care you have to take care of yourself. And I think in these kind of scenarios, I've certainly gotten into that habit of not taking care of myself. And if you start with that as a baseline of just, okay, where are the, wh- what are the ways where I can better take care of myself? And whether that's mentally or physically or do, just taking that time um, that maybe you neglected in the past and doing things for yourself, that's a good place to start. Yeah. And just because your relationship has existed with this pattern for so long, it doesn't mean that you cannot reassess and change it. It's never too late to kind of change how a relationship works. (laughs) Just, just order a seafood buffet of jumbo shrimp. (laughs) Is this episode called, Jumbo shrimp. We've. <laughs> it's a podcast about shellfish. You heard it here. I, I'll be talking and then just start. Then the words jumbo shrimp just repeat in my head, and then it's like a, it's a little like shrimp. Then he's got arms and legs, and he's wearing like a, a top gi- hat. Oh, I was picturing more of like a Jimmy Buffett shrimp. Like he's got oh, a little. No, mine has a top hat. He's a parrot. Mine's head. basically Mr. Peanut, but he's a shrimp. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a monocle. He's got a cane. He's got a top hat. He's Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And splishing and splashing in a COVID bath. (laughs) (laughs) Way to tie the room together. Love doing that. Now that I'm fully vaccinated, I've decided to dip my toe back into the dating pond. After a year of isolation, I finally met a girl I really like. We had four amazing dates, and finally the time came that I went to her house. When I got there, I was terrified to see she had stuffed animals on the shelves, on the couch, on her bed. You get the picture. 
When I asked her about them, she shrugged it off and said she kept all of them from her childhood and really likes them. Am I insane to cut it off with her because I can't handle the eyes of her 1990s beanie babies <laughs> staring into my soul? She is literally a 10 out of 10 in every way, but I can't help thinking her collection of toys is a little weird. Is it a red flag or am I an asshole? Doesn't matter. GTFO. I say bring a bag, pop those beanie babies in the bag, sell them on eBay. I was going, at first I thought you were going to say donate them, but then I was like, sell that shit on eBay. Does she have the Princess Diana beanie baby? <laughs> Probably. It's, in, it's like in one of those little plexiglass cases. It's one of those, I feel like we come back to this on the podcast like time and time again. It's, it's such a little thing that seems so insignificant, but it's also like, indicative of other parts of somebody's personality if they're holding on to, like stuffed animals are just weird as an adult i know that you love them i know that you went on a date with a girl and she brought you a <laughs> a stuffed she, she, sloth i told her on our first date that i like sloths and then i met her for yoga and afterwards she was like oh I've got something for you. And I walked to her car and she gave me a stuff slot. It was very sweet, but I was like, this is strange. I, and now I, it's did just she, weirdly did, in my closet. Did she order it online or like what I'm picturing is like, I didn't she, ask. Here's the thing. I'm picturing that this bitch, right? She's trying to impress you. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I so now. mad about no, her? No, I'm like, she was really nice. It was a sweet gesture. No, but I'm picturing, okay. This bitch. Jesus. Let me finish my thoughts. Let me finish my thoughts. If I was going to impress a girl or, like, bring her something, like, I would just get, like, probably a plant. That would be my move. Uh, she, she might have gone into Toys R Us prior to your date. No, this wasn't a Toys R Us sloth. Oh, it's a... Tell me more about your sloth. It was a high-quality bisexual sloth. I'll show it to you later. It's in my closet. I'm going to sleep with it tonight. I'm going to bring it home with me. I would not... Yeah, if, if anybody had stuff, like stuffed animals displayed in their adult home, that would freak me the fuck out. I, will, I would like to admit that I still do have all of my Care Bears stuffed animals from childhood... And they're in, I'll allow it. They're in my parents' house, but I did just put them up like in the closet on a shelf, like that I look at them sometimes when I go home and I'm like, oh my Care Bear stuffed animals. I couldn't get rid of them. It's like nineteen eighties Care Bear stuffed animals. You wouldn't. I mean, I'm I'm assuming that this person doesn't have like a curated, not like nineties niche stuffed animal collection. I'm just picturing dogs. Cats, bears, I don't know. What are stuffed animals? Dogs, cats, and bears? <laughs> oh. Yeah, I mean, I Tigers. So. Ooh, that Tigers. just reminded me. Oh, God, this was so strange. One, this is years ago, and I was uh, boarding a flight, um, I think when I lived in L.A. to Portland, and I was in the airport, and I like just looked over, and there was a girl who looked my age, I was in my 20s, looked my age, who had a giant carnival-sized El <laughs> Elmo stuffed animal, and she was holding, like, holding it on her. And I was traveling with a friend of mine, and like, I turned to her and I was like, wouldn't that be really funny if she sat next to you? Guess what? She sat next to her. <laughs> she sat next to her. 
I was like, you're in the middle of not sitting next to this crazy bitch. <laughs> I'm like, who who carries a human-sized uh, Elmo adults, doll? Adults with stuffed animals, it just skeeves me out. It's like when we watch Vanderpump Rules and Sheena has her weird little frog. dirty frog stuffed animal. Dirty frog. It, it always that looks like... dirty, dirty frog. No, it's bizarre. I don't... It's it's very strange. There's something else going on. Mommy, the daddy issues, Seriously. childhood stuff like or hanging. She, maybe, or, or please or, pray tell. What's maybe, your or? Maybe she she's a furry. <gasps> maybe she's into some furry play. Yeah, and it's a sign of furry. She play. leaves them up because she wants to gauge your reaction. Exactly, she wants but. to see if you're into that, and then next thing you know, she's like, "Let me pop on my horse outfit." <laughs> <laughs> Nay for me, bitch. Uh, I mean, it's just hard because it's. It seems like on paper and every other way, she's good, but I, I just don't know that I could do it. But I'm also like, I'm very. I've, I've traversed back into the world of online dating apps and like I have so many non-negotiables that are seem very trivial. But for instance, if I see fucking Minnie Mouse ears in any of your pictures, I will not. You're giving away your secrets. <laughs> I would only, I mean, I guess it depends on the, the number of stuffed animals. If it was an excessive amount, I'd probably just be like, uh, get me the fuck out of here. But I don't know. I like to give everybody the benefit of a de- of the doubt. Maybe just asking the question, digging in a little deeper. Is there a reason? Maybe maybe there's a reason that's justified. I'd love to hear it. I can't even think of a justified she likes reason to hump stuffed animals. Ooh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, what is the justifiable reason is what I was I wondering. I, I was thinking of something really like sad and dark, like her, <laughs> like her, her dad died being smothered by stuffed animals and it reminds her of her daddy, her dead daddy. Oh God. <laughs> I, this podcast got dark. Yeah. It's a Sylvia Plath podcast. <laughs> it's a podcast. And next up, I'm going to read Sylvia Plath's. Daddy. Are we I will, all ready for that? I will be reading an excerpt from the bell jar. <laughs> this is the outro. Outro, outro. It's your turn. I, I literally asked if there was a plan for the outro and that was your plan. I just stared at you and then just started singing about it. That's what I do. This has been Two Birds, One Stone. I'm not ready for that yet. Oh, good God. Well, then, what is what is your game plan? I don't know. I want to talk more about jum- jumbo shrimp. <laughs> and COVID baths. Let me do it. If you guys are listening, please, splish, splish, please drink every time Andrea says jumbo shrimp or shellfish in I love this episode. oxymorons. I love virus baths. <laughs> you are Let's who you are. Let's all take a botulism bath together. <laughs> For some reason, botulism bath has the same ring to it as last week when you said wine bukkake when we were talking about (laughs) feeding my blow-up doll wine. Yeah, just really rolls off the tongue. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, it doesn't get any better. This is just it. (laughs) 
It's all about botulism baths <laughs> from here on out. Yeah. There's there's no coming there's, back from it. There's no bar that is higher that we will obtain. That we'll do the limbo under. <laughs> <laughs> we are who we are. This is what it is. We are two birds, one stone. That's who we are. It is who we are. You can email your questions to us at twobirdsonestonepod at gmail.com. And that is the numeral two birds, the numeral one, stone pod at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram, twobirdsonestone.pod. I was informed by a friend of mine that definitely two birds, one stone is a weird Instagram account. It's not us. He was very confused. I had to clarify that there is a dot pod there. We have so many followers, so please, you know, get in line. Yeah, get in line. I mean, we don't have a TikTok, but you can... Don't make me. (laughs) I already, yeah, you're the only person that I put on my TikTok, really. I don't know how to tick... God, I just... (laughs) burped I tried to burp discreetly but here I am okay um yeah I mean I don't really have anything else to say other than we'll we'll see see ourselves ourselves out. out